0: Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse.Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse.Podcast.
1: Did Antigone need to die to do the right thing? And how, how nurses have sacrificed their health. Their well being on behalf of their patients. And should that be the bar that we set for ourselves? And yet I think we do sometimes. I think we have not counted ourselves in in terms of our investment in our own health and well-being.
0: Joining us today for part one of a two-part episode. Special guests, Cinder Rushton, a clinical nurse ethicist and health humanities scholar, and Brian Dorries, co-founder. Principal translator and artistic director of Theatre of War Productions. Cinda and Brian discuss what it means to foster understanding, empathy, and recovery through the arts. The recent Theatre of War project, Nurse Antigone, is a poignant testament to that cause. Rooted in the timeless wisdom of Greek tragedy, Nurse Antigone sets the stage for nurses to voice their experiences, their agony, and their resilience offering both catharsis and communal healing. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse and VP of community at nurse.com. I'm going to get us kicked off here. First of all, Cinda. I'm so Cinder Russian. Okay. I had the pleasure of talking to you the other day. I always say the other day, but that was probably like a week or two weeks ago. (laughs) And we were introduced by the amazing Bonnie Barnes from, uh, from uh, the Daisy foundation and you know, so she's doing some incredible work. You're doing incredible work. And then when we were on the call, you told me about Brian. Brian, is it Brian Dory's? Dory's?
2: That's right. Dories? Yeah.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So you told me, Cinda, about Brian Dory's and what you did with him and the project that you guys did during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that took us down this whole rabbit hole <laughs> of like, oh, this is what we, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this. We have to explore how this came about, you know, uh, Brian's uh, history with with theater and, uh, and and how you wanted to kind of shine a light on what the frontline workers were doing. Uh, and the nurses were doing. And so, Cinda, will you, will you quickly just, you know, introduce yourself to the listeners, you know, who you are, what you do, and uh, just a little, a little bio, a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Cinder Rushton. I'm a nurse Uh, I am a professor of bioethics and nursing at Johns Hopkins, and I do lots of different things, including teaching students and working with nurses, particularly around ethical issues. I co-chair the Hospital Ethics Committee and Consultation Service, and I've been involved for a very long time in trying to think about the ways that clinicians experience ethical challenges and the suffering that sometimes goes along with it and how we can uh, try to harness that inherent moral resilience that we have to meet those challenges in ways that don't degrade our integrity or our well-being. So um, that has taken many, many different forms, uh, including research, but also lots of um, interventions to try to see what might actually be effective.
0: That's beautiful. The work you're doing is so important. And uh, especially when we think about moral injury and we think about what nurses are experiencing and and why they're leaving the profession and uh, how long they're able to sustain it uh, Mm -hmm. when they're new nurses and, and the support that's needed. So uh, all the work that you're doing, Cinda, is just so so admirable um, and just so so needed. So I'm I'm just so grateful for you and and for for you being here with us. So thank you so much for that for that incredible intro. And then you met Brian. How did you meet Brian? And then I'm going to introduce Brian to all the <laughs> listeners. Well. <laughs>
1: We'll have to see what we remember about when we met. It was quite a a long time ago, actually. Mm -hmm. It was when you were um, sort of exploring the intersection of your work in end-of-life care. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching a program which has been in uh, existence now for several decades, Being with Dying. And um, we were in a conversation about how Brian's methodology might be a doorway into helping clinicians explore their own experience with end of life care and how that impacted the way that they cared for patients and families. So that was, I don't know, Brian, Uh, it was a while ago. And then we just kept having these um, intersections (laughs) in different spheres. And, you know, it one thing led to another (laughs) and another
0: and another. So that is a great segue into you, Brian. Okay. So I don't, I don't think I realized the, the, the part about end of life care. I'll try not to digress and, 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 uh, go down that road because that is something that I am personally very passionate about have done. Most of my career has been around end of life and transitioning and all of that. So I'm fascinated by what you're about to tell me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so I met Cinda, I believe. Yeah. About 12 years ago while working on our end of life project. Um, I, so, you know, I should say I'm Brian Dorries, the Artistic Director of Theater of War Productions. And um, we're a company that uses live performances and readings of seminal texts from a variety of sources, ancient to modern um, cultures all over the planet to frame important, uh, powerful conversations about pressing issues of public health and social justice. And we got our start in hospitals um, in 2007 with a series of readings I staged of my own translation of an ancient Greek play called Philoctetes about a um, a wounded warrior who's abandoned on an island on the way to the Trojan War on account of his own chronic illness by his own community, and the play is about what happens when nine years later they come back to get him because they've learned from an oracle that the only way they'll win the war is by bringing him and his invincible weapon to the battlefront. And um, Anyway, I staged this play in a hospital on the Upper East Side in New York City and thought I was pretty clever and knew something about the play. And um, And we scheduled a short discussion period after for the nurses and doctors and patients and medical students who were there. And it became clear almost instantaneously in the discussion that the audience knew more than I did even though i had translated the play the audience that had lived the experiences the play had described as caregivers as um you know as as patients as bystanders as loved ones um the complex ethics on the page were um somewhat theoretical to me although i had recently lost someone i loved to cystic fibrosis before working on the play and that in many ways informed my work um but it um it was those who were living it daily that, that had something to teach me about what these ancient plays were saying and teach each other. And it became clear that by performing a play, we could generate a kind of space, which is what theater is about, a, a kind of a space of transgression where anything was possible for a brief period of time. So we did a f- series of hospital readings and then that led to the military at a point where in the US military, it was seen as a career ending gesture to raise your hand and say, I'm struggling with an invisible wound. This is 2008, right after the Walter Reed scandal, where you know our military medical establishment was seen to be underserving the needs of the warriors returning from Iraq-, Iraq and Afghanistan. And although I had protested against the wars in the streets of New York, I thought it was a moral obligation to do something. And all I had was Greek and Latin plays, you know. So uh, this is this is what led to me quitting my job and starting. Theater of War Productions. And and the military was where we took Theater of War to scale. um, After meeting a friend of Cinda's, uh, who was a female general and a psychiatrist in the U.S. Army named Lori Sutton, who saw the value in performing Greek tragedies for service members and veterans returning from war. And in a single year, we did 100 performances all over the planet on military installations as a kind of innovative out-of-the-box intervention of public health and mental health and what what could happen and this is sort of germane to the larger conversation here and so i'm setting the stage because we've been doing this now with frontline medical professionals and also nurses over the last year is that we could take a highly resistant audience that had every reason not to talk that had been silenced in some ways by their own institution and we could open up a discussion that never would have happened had we not performed these emotionally charged ethically complex scenes for them with the kind of actors that we bring to bear with this work um so one of the first performances we did for the military was for 400 marines and their families and we scheduled a 45-minute discussion for those marines and the discussion that first night in august of 2008 nearly 15 years ago lasted um three and a half hours and had to be cut off at midnight. And everything from Lance corporals to general's wives were um, opening up and quoting lines from this ancient Greek play, these plays as if they'd known them their entire lives um, and quoting them from memory without notes and relating them to their own personal stories. And that is what eventually, because our second project was about end of life care, led me to Cinda. And that's how (laughs) Cinda and I began talking because she was doing out of the box interventions for helping caregivers and medical professionals train and rehearse for being present with death and dying and witnessing suffering. And that's essentially what we were doing too. Um, And that's how we started our machinations about one day collaborating on a much larger scale. Anyway, that's a long answer to your question, but um, a sort of narrative answer because it's easier to sort of contextualize who we are and what we do based on that. When the pandemic hit, we'd already been collaborating with Johns Hopkins University and with Cinda and with the Berman Institute of Bioethics uh, on a number of projects. So it was sort of exciting to immediately go with one of the most trusted ethical sources in the world with regard to epidemiology and what was happening and to say, we're going to focus on medical professionals and their moral suffering. Uh, and we did 10 performances right right, off, right out of the gate, starting that uh, June or July of 2020. Um, and then Cinda uh, doggedly and persistently <laughs> kept saying, and yet This is great. This is fantastic. Congratulations. We wrote a piece for the, together. She was you know, led the charge for the Lancet about the frontline work we were doing with um, the first project. Um, but what about nurses? What about nurses? we got to do something for nurses. And, um, and that's what led to the Nurse Antigone, which is the project that we've been doing, we've been part of for the last 15 months, um, which has been the most exciting collaboration to date uh, with mm-hmm. Cinda and uh, what led us to you.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
0: As I was listening to you talk, I I was literally transported into these audiences. I, I really felt like as you were talking that I was sitting there with, you know, hundreds of Marines and then yeah. sitting there um, with all these you know, maybe nurses and doctors and caregivers. Um, and I have to say like I I'm really the emotions that are are running through me right now all i kept thinking was we have to come up with creative ways of helping people to process their trauma yeah yeah because it's just and I don't even know that I'm going to have the right words for this. But it's it's so complex. What nurses experience, what uh, what veterans, military veterans experience. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah. There's some distinct differences, um, but there's a lot of overlap. And I think sometimes it's, there's a lack of time Mm -hmm. to process, right? It's um, what you see, what you witness, what you feel. Uh, You're oftentimes expected to just, you gotta put it aside Mm -hmm. because someone dies, but there's another patient that needs to be admitted. You witness something really tragic, maybe something very violent. You think about all the mass shootings, Mm -hmm. and those are, you know, those victims, somebody's caring for them. You know, they're getting transported into a hospital somewhere. Someone is working on those people, caring for those people. It's there's a trauma there that is not necessarily getting processed. And I know for me personally, as a nurse, somebody who has done pediatric oncology for probably the first half of my career, um, experienced a tremendous amount of loss, grief, you know, the the complication of of that, of Mm -hmm. going, well, it's not my family, it's not my child, but boy, do I feel a connection to this family, but where do I fall in this? You know, how do I process this? And I think many nurses and and many people in healthcare are desperately looking for ways Mm -hmm. that are non-traditional. You know, sometimes you don't want to go and talk about it. You know, sometimes that's not what you want to do. So I think what you're, what you're doing, I, you know, I, I just keep thinking like, how do we do more of that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to, really. I just want to make sure that for one, selfishly, I get to see the next one <laughs> like yeah. completely selfishly. I want to make sure that I get to see it. Um, And how do we get this to more people? like how, how can we provide this? It's I see it almost like like a medication in a way, like if you had this incredible medication, of course, you're gonna want to make sure everybody has it, right? Yeah. so tell me, tell me a little bit more and and, and send a, feel free to jump in here from a from a nurse perspective. When you first started, working on this project with Brian, the, the nurse Antigone project. Do you, do you consider it a project or what, what do you, I want to call it the right thing.
1: <laughs> I don't know what we call it to Brian. I mean, it's an adventure is mm. what it really is. It's the nurse Antigone evolving reality might be one way to describe it. Um, so You know, as Brian, as you've articulated so so well, you know, the pandemic just pulled the blinders off problems that had been present in healthcare and in our society in a way that really made it impossible to turn away from. And, What we kept hearing, you know, in my work with nurses was this sort of unrelenting crush of ethical challenges every single day, all day. And, you know, before that, I think those were more episodic. And yet in the pandemic, there was like no relief. And there was no space, as you said, for really finding a way to make sense out of it. And the institutions where nurses were practicing were so sort of um, in a crisis mode that they Places of employment didn't feel safe anymore for a lot of reasons. I mean, safety in terms of just their own health, but also safe in terms of talking about hard things, and also not safe because of the violence that was being leveraged toward nurses, both physically and verbally and psychologically, in ways that, you know, there was no real relief from. And so, when when we started in June of 2020 with the first sort of wave of frontline, we quickly saw how needed it was for these clinicians to have at least a, a space where through this process of bearing witness to these ancient uh, Greek tragedies allowed them to try to make sense out of what was happening, to give a voice to it, to realize they weren't alone and that what they were experiencing was not unique. And so that that was the the sort of impetus. And of course there's 4 million nurses in this country and nurses were the ones who in many ways were the ones who were put in the situation where the risk they took was very significant. They were often the people in the isolation rooms when the rest of the team stood outside. And they were the ones who were holding the iPads for patients who were dying to be with their families. And so um, it seemed like it needed a different frame, an innovative doorway into that that wasn't direct. Because when you're really in crisis, meeting those kinds of questions directly can just feel too threatening. And so then, you know, Brian's magic is amazing in this context because it it it's so um, unusual to be invited into that kind of a space and to allow people to sort of titrate how they want to engage, but then finding themselves actually transported into this story of Antigone. And Brian can talk about how he decided on Antigone, but that really resonated with nurses in lots of different ways. And that, that story, that narrative in response to it has evolved from the first nurse Antigone to the last one we did.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just jumping on what Cindy said, I think one of the things that we observed during those first 10 performances where we were casting a wide net in the medical clinician community, everything from respiratory therapists to security guards to um, greeters to nurses and doctors, like really trying to be as wide and pluralistic as expansive as we could, because we knew that everyone was feeling the brunt of COVID and was being pushed past their limits and was not able to deliver you know, care according to the standards they'd been trained. And so everyone was suffering morally to a certain extent. Um, And everyone deserved a seat at that table. And, you know, we also were very, at Theater of War Productions, were very uh, adamant about the the more diversity, the more, the more collectivism, uh, you know, that's present, the more radically different the perspectives are in the audience, the more powerful sometimes the results. Uh, because we're all sort of bearing witness to each other's truths, even if we don't necessarily agree with them, we can hold them in a space and acknowledge them and respect them. Um, and that, that you know, one of the ideas behind that is that that can be very validating and healing. Um, but it became clear that nurses who, who played a vital role in speaking during those early performances of Theater of War Frontline, our project at the beginning of the pandemic, Many of the nurses that spoke were incredibly vocal. They would, they would shift the dynamics of the room. They would rearrange the molecules of those of us listening, and they would sort of crack open the conversation. But also, there were plenty of instances where it was clear that nurses were gagged by the institutions for which they worked, or nurses weren't showing up to the performances because they didn't feel like they could speak, and that they were silenced by the institutions for which they worked. And we saw some instances later where institutions actively silenced and rewrote the narrative of the nurses who'd showed up. So it was clear that there was something that we need to do that would address this for nurses and give them a space and a time and a vocabulary and a syntax and some energy for having this conversation and having it be heard, not necessarily by other medical professionals, but also be heard by the general public. And one of the things that Cinda has been writing about and thinking about that's really inspired the project is that, you know, that COVID as this accelerant that she was talking about earlier, really stretched and in many ways tore the social fabric between nurses and the general public. And how do we heal the social fabric? How do we how do we put the social contract back together, where America's so-called most trusted profession is treated with the respect, and also, um, by respect I don't mean like you know thank you for your service or banging pots and pans or fast, facile expressions of gratitude, but I mean how do we collectively bear the burden of what nurses have faced as a, as a as a culture as a society. And so what the Greeks offered, and it's not the only culture, but it's just, it's where I started my journey. And I'm an evangelist, not for the plays, but for the technology of the amphitheater. And Greek amphitheater means the place where we see in both directions, where I see you and you see me, these ancient spaces, these theaters, the seeing place, the teatron, where we can watch a play, but also see each other's reactions to it. And in some ways, Zoom became the perfect digital exponentially amplifying version of the ancient amphitheater something that sophocles never could have imagined uh in the in the fifth century bc where we could engage not just a hyper local audience but a global audience and dialogue and then the potential for validation the potential for healing of collective bearing witness was exponential and it was one of the kind of gifts of the pandemic. I don't fetishize what happened, I would turn it all back in a second, but it, we should capitalize on what we've been given, This these blessings that we could see the inequalities in such a way that hopefully we don't unsee them, that nurses found their voices and started to express them in a way they hadn't necessarily before, but that they wanted to before the pandemic and had yet to find the platform and the means. So the nurse Antigone was born out of that sort of fertile ground And the idea was, you know, let's do something where we not only create the space for nurses to speak and be heard and hear each other and also be heard and exchange ideas with the general public, Uh, and not just about the time of COVID, but about the past, present and future of nursing. Um, And, but let's do something else, which is something we've been doing since 2016 with a project. We started with a project called Antigone and Ferguson, where we use the same text And we brought people from the community in Ferguson and in St. Louis who knew Michael Brown into the chorus of the play. And instead of just having professional actors, and we probably should have mentioned that most of the actors who perform in our plays are Oscar and Emmy and Tony award-winning performers who do this as an act of service, who feel like it's a gift to them to be able to um, serve others with their craft. um, uh, That, You know, typically before that period, we only performed with professional actors to catalyze discussions, which really were the main performance where people would stand up and share their stories and truths and take the risk of being present with their emotions and their thoughts. Um, But with Antigone and Ferguson, we decided to build a chorus that couldn't speak, that couldn't preach to itself, a chorus that couldn't preach to itself, a chorus made up of law enforcement and Black Lives Matter activists, of people who knew Michael Brown and people who were in the churches of that community and people who taught him, educators, some of his teachers were in the chorus and were soloists in the production. And that was a kind of revelation for Theater of War Productions that if we brought the community into the performance, it would only deepen the exchange with the audiences that we, and we also model a way of coming together. So for the nurse Antigone, we just like Antigone and Ferguson, really Antigone Ferguson probably should have been called Antigone of Ferguson because we didn't set it in Ferguson. It was, it was performed by people who were proximal to what happened in Ferguson. Nurse and the nurse, Antigone, as a title, is descriptive of the fact that we created a chorus of nurses that rotated through 11 events um, who were representative of a variety of services and experiences um, who performed the role of the chorus in Sophocles' play alongside professional actors. Um, and public figures like Margaret Atwood, who played Tiresias for us during the run, and other people. And that idea, uh, you know, essentially signifies to the audience that the discussion starts with the performance. The nurses reading the play are already beginning the interpretation through the framework of nurses. And the play, as you probably know, is very simply a story about a young woman who stands down the state and risks everything to bury her brother who's died in a brutal civil war when the state has declared and the king, the new king has declared that her brother, one of her brothers will remain unburied and she sacrifices everything in service of something that she believes is a higher law than the law of the state and institutions, the law of love, the law of selfless love, um, in, in order to see her brother And how did you
0: pick that one, Brian? So how,
2: so in some some ways, you know, we could have picked any play and I'm sure nurses would have found a way in, um, any play from the Greek repertory, but any play that where people were dealing with life and death significance. But the reason we picked Antigone, we've done in other settings, as I mentioned before, is, um, you know, given the gender demographics of nursing, uh, given the misogyny on display in the play, given, um, that it's you know one of the, one of the chief strategies of our work is that we use distance to create a space by way of ancient plays often that doesn't say to the audience this is you, but gives the audience the chance to reflect. What do you see of yourselves, your communities, your institutions that you work for, the hierarchies in which you work in this play. Um, So we'd known from experience, because we'd done it in Ferguson, we'd done it with Bengali women in the Bronx, where they couldn't have talked about the patriarchy of the culture from which they came through a play from their own culture, but if we put a Greek play in front of them some distance, all of a sudden we're having a conversation about misogyny and power dynamics that wouldn't have happened otherwise, so a young woman standing down an institution and institutional violence, putting everything on the line and in a very open and sort of politically fraught way in front of the entire populace, speaking the truth to power, seemed like it would be a narrative that would speak to nurses, a story about someone who's willing to sacrifice everything, including her own life on behalf of others and on behalf of something bigger than herself. That seemed like it it would... resonate with others but these were with nurses but these were the sort of formless hunches we never go in with it this is not a didactic medium you call it medicine but it can't feel like medicine otherwise it falls apart it can't feel like we're teaching otherwise uh it can't you know it can't feel like uh, instruction
0: Nurses, did you know that nurse.com is the ultimate destination for all nurses? It's where you can find your nurse life in one place. That's right. Everything from networking with your peers and continuing education to industry news and career opportunities. It's all there for you. Nurse.com is your dedicated platform to explore a wide range of job opportunities from all across the nation. Whether you're a fresh graduate testing the waters or a seasoned pro desiring for a change in scenery, we've got you covered. Nurse.com forward slash jobs features posts from entry level to executive leadership in every practice setting, even in specialties you might not have considered. So why wait? Leverage your skills and passion in an opportunity worthy of both. Visit nurse.com forward slash jobs today and initiate your journey towards the next chapter in your nursing career.
2: So were any so the, of please go ahead. Were,
0: oh, it, were any of the nurses who participated? Was there any retaliation that they experienced from their institutions? Did they have to get permission to be part of it? Did they have to? What was that process? This is a great like?
2: question. So, I mean, kind of back to what your earlier question about how do we take this to scale. I think the way we take this to scale is brave leaders, like the leader I mentioned in the US military, Brigadier Laurie Sutton, have to say there has to be a time and place that's non-attributional, leaderless, non-hierarchical in our institutions where nurses are allowed to speak to each other and to heal. Um, and that is an act of ethical and moral leadership that I know nursing has within it, but I feel like that's the next step for us, We have to find those leaders. So if they're listening, please call us because we want to bring Nurse Antigone to your community. Um, But also um, because it's essential. It's, It's, you know, there's, I don't have to tell you and Cinda about what's happening in nursing right now. There's so much healing that needs to happen. So we've learned a lot of lessons over the years, you know, and even over the last 15 months, there have been, I think a lot of instances where if we partner directly with an institution, like a hospital, we risk that kind of hierarchical retribution because sometimes the leaders who engage us aren't necessarily fully aware of you know what they're signing up for or you know sometimes you have to experience our work to understand what that is um so just giving them the benefit of the doubt but when we do public events and we're engaging a broad cross section of people from all over the planet it's less fraught than something that's Explicitly about a hospital, or a, and and people can put whatever name they want on the Zoom. Uh, this was mostly digital work. They can they can activate their video or not. It's sort of an, there's an architecture of consent, which my colleague Marjolaine Goldsmith, who runs all of our, and sort of produces all of our digital work, is always talking about. Where in our model, you don't have to talk about yourself. You don't have to disclose your trauma. You don't have to reveal what you've been through. You don't have to name your superior. You can just talk about the play and the characters in it. And that's how it worked in the military as well. So it creates a kind of safety valve or, or some distance and space where people can speak the truth very forcibly without necessarily incurring retribution. Now, have people experienced retribution? Of course. People are often talking about safe spaces. We're not interested in safe spaces. I'm interested in brave spaces. And the actors are taking a risk by reading these crazy Greek plays of very mi- minimal rehearsal. The nurses are taking a risk by stepping out of the box and reading a play and being part of court. And then really the real risk is that the audience takes the risk of speaking the truth in a highly charged emotional state where we're having an ethical a conversation about the consequences of our choices in a space and in a, in a state where we're aware of the emotional and spiritual consequences of those choices.
0: I love that. I love that you said, I'm not interested in creating a safe space. I'm interested in creating a brave space because nurses are brave. I mean, they're incredibly, incredibly brave individuals and, um, and recognizing that in them, I think also provides an element of healing. Cinda, like, so when you first saw this, How did you, as a nurse, okay, purely not academic, not just like, where did that, where did it hit in you from an emotional place? Like, yeah, Um,
1: every single, you know, we've said this so many times when you've seen one, you've seen one, but every single performance hit in a slightly different place, you know, I think where I started was a real identification with Antigone of standing up for what I believed was right, you know, and sort of really resonating with that sort of um, unrelenting purpose, you know, that I'm, I'm going forward no matter what. And and also the, you know, the the image of Creon as this leader who didn't listen and how many times, you know, I've been in the situation of bringing forth issues that were dismissed or minimized or, you know, we'll just give you some chocolate or a pizza and you'll feel better. And and so it was it was resonating with, you know, gosh, I've been a nurse for a long time. And there were just many, many uh, parts of it that were like, yeah, I know that space. And seeing, you know, sort of seeing yourself in from a lot of different dimensions, you know, and and also this idea that um, did Antigone need to die to do the right thing, you know, and how how nurses have sacrificed their health their well-being on behalf of their patients and should that be the bar you know that we set for ourselves and yet you know I think we do sometimes I think we have not counted ourselves in in terms of our investment in our own health and well-being and so you know it was another partially
0: a cautionary tale yeah. a, a, a little bit of a, a cautionary tale in some way that you know, don't, don't let this happen to you kind of thing, but like, you don't have to die. Yeah. You know, that like, it is okay to, of course you have to speak up and, you know, truth to power and, and, and all of that, but at what what point, you know, what are your limits?
1: What are the limits of that? And, and I think The other other thread that has resonated throughout all of it, and and we've been talking a lot about amongst our group of uh, facilitators of this process, I guess I would say, (laughs) is um, it was such an interesting trajectory of responses and, and how the words of the play began to create a vocabulary for nurses to speak about their experiences that in many ways had been unspoken and even maybe didn't even have the language to express why does this matter? We heard that again and again and again of nurses making those connections of feeling ineffective in, in delivering care, you know, as Brian said, the, the, the dissonance between this is what I was trained to do. And this is what I'm doing. And how do I see myself as a good person, as a good nurse, when I know there's more that I could do, or, or that I'm not doing this in a way that reflects what really I stand for as a nurse. And and over time, sort of seeing that trajectory unfold uh, over the 11 performances, and we were reflecting that it, it, it had an arc to it. And at, you know at first people were pretty shut down. And then as time went on, there was this amplification of voice where nurses were able to speak in a different voice about their experience. And some of that had a tone of activism and, you know, outrage and, uh, you know, sort of activism. But there was also along with that a, a sense of confidence, you know, that that we we belong here hmm. and we have something that needs to be said and heard and understood. And we are in this amphitheater that includes the public which we need as allies to support us to do what we know how to do best mm-hmm. and you know that that was just i don't think we could have expected that um we just certainly didn't have a road map <laughs> other than we were going to focus on different aspects of nursing and to brian's point you know to to engage professional organizations as a, as a way to, to reduce some of the possibility of retaliation because we were recruiting through organizations outside of healthcare hmm. to engage nurses, you know, so the critical care nurses, the student nurses, Sigma Theta Tau, you know, community health uh, organizations,
2: hospice and palliative care
1: hospice and palliative care. Yeah. That was the sort of, partnership that helped us to have access to these different aspects of nursing and to also highlight how many different ways that nurses serve.
0: Stay tuned for part two of this very special episode. If you are a nurse who enjoyed this episode and you have an idea for future episodes, you can connect with me by downloading the nurse.com app. NurseDot is a Nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the NurseDot podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.